War. War never changes. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Welcome back to Duncan and Bo come correct. Uh, the the cinematic Thunderdome, in which uh, I and Bo present a film to my co-host Duncan, who is with us. Hi, Duncan, my uh, brother from a Scottish mother. We uh, <laughs> we have we have chosen films for one another that the other hasn't seen in an mm-hmm. in an attempt uh, for each of us to come most correct in a given episode um, and and recommend the better film to the other person. Um, one note, I don't think we mentioned this last week. Uh, it's a relatively new rule, but it exists and we should, we should make sure all the rules are on the table for those wagering, um, that at any point during the season, we can invoke the film winter beast and its magical powers will immediately give us a point in our favor, regardless of the results of the episode itself. As if, as if a claymation tree came down from the sky, did a groovy little dance, and handed us a win. The The Winter Beast is the most powerful uh, of all incantations, and thus can only be used once per season uh, by each of us. So yes. uh, those, are, those are the rules. Uh, today, we are talking, Duncan, about the issue of war. Oh, Bo, what's it good for? Uh, Absolutely nothing. Good God, y'all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, so in, in typical Duncan and Bo come correct fashion, um, we, we tend to come at, uh, the subject from a slightly different angle. Um, mm-hmm. my pick this week, uh, which is Dr. Strangelove or how I, uh, learned to stop worrying and love the bomb, mm-hmm. um, is a more direct, uh, or more, di- has more direct relation to war than your pick. Yeah. Which is Olzana's raid, um, and we will uh, we will debate the merits of those films shortly. Mm-hmm. It turns out they're both really good. I think this is going to be a little bit of a barn burner. I think so as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, yeah, so much so that I watched both movies yesterday, and I've watched them both again today um, because I'm still. Yeah, I think the conversations we have today on this show will ultimately decide where my. Uh, where my final decision drops, I think. Yeah, I, I I know where I'm headed, and I feel like I have a good case. So, mm. um, anyway, before we get into all that nonsense, we like to uh, take a moment and uh, and just talk about some movies, uh, maybe more recent that we may have seen, and uh, we like to to pick one that is uh, good, for example. Yes, and another that maybe isn't so good. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, uh, in that vein, Duncan, have you been watching movies that are good and or bad? Uh, I have been. Yes, I have. Um, I recently purchased myself, um, there was a fantastic deal on Amazon. Every now and again, I get an email um, from Amazon just saying, we think you would like this. And by the way, it's reasonably priced at the moment. So I got um, a limited edition Steelbook Blu-ray copy of uh, Reanimator, which Ooh. I have not seen in years. Um, oh, that by, movie. Oh. Yeah. By Stuart Gordon, starring Jeffrey Combs. And um, I remember always liking it. I remember, I, I know it's held like an incredibly high regard amongst uh, horror fans for, for obvious reasons. Um, and I remember 
it must be easily about 10 years since I've seen this movie. And I remember enjoying it. I remember thinking, this is a good movie. But I was never like, you know, this is an amazing movie. This is, you know, one of these movies that is, you know, needs to be pulled out every now and again and, and shown to people and said, Hi, have you not seen it? Watch this movie. Um, so, so I got it for the, the measly sum of about eight pounds, which is insane because it usually goes for about 25 on Amazon. But for whatever reason, it was on a deal and um, I picked it up. Uh, and it's last week I thought, I'm going to fight, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch this movie. And I watched it. And um, turns out, turns out, it's an excellent fucking movie. I already knew it was a good movie, but turns out it's an excellent movie and one I appreciate more with age. Actually, I think I'm well, I would have been early twenties when I saw it last time, and um, it turns out like the older I am, the more I'm getting out of that movie. That's a really, really, really intelligent, well-made movie. It's incredible yeah. and and very funny. It has yeah, a oh god, yeah, an incredibly dark sense of humor that I really appreciate. Like all the mm. conversations. Anytime Jeffrey Combs is explaining anything to anyone, his way of doing it in the most condescending possible way is a is a real pleasure for me in that movie. You know, yeah. like the him consistently like breaking the pencil in the class and you know, <laughs> Doctor West, maybe you should take a pen. You know, all that stuff. <laughs> like yeah. that's all incredible. Yeah, Reanimator is is a movie for me that you know. It's kind of sparked my love of horror horror movies in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I, I just wanted to kind of get that one out of the way. What I really want to talk about in the good category, though, Bo, the really good category, is a movie I hadn't seen before. So obviously, I'm just kind of, I'm not reinventing the wheel by saying... You're throwing the rules out the window here, though. Yeah, yeah. All I'm right. Not reinventing the wheel saying that reanimator is a good movie because we all know it's a good movie right well yeah um, it's a controversial opinion yeah 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 so um the movie that i saw in the last week which i genuinely thought was excellent was a movie i had never heard of before um and one that i watched i i genuinely thought why have I never, you know, this is a movie, why have I never heard of this? Very similar to what we do on this show, actually, you know, has come away with movies which the other person hasn't seen, they may have heard of, but they may not have heard of, and at the end of it, we tend to find ourselves in the, the position of sitting there going, well, if we've never heard of this movie before, why have we never heard of this movie before? Because it's excellent. Um, is a movie called Dead and Buried from 1981? Oh, yeah, with uh, James Franciscus. I want yeah. to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. A really interesting movie, yeah. Yeah, I, I did it as part of doing the Nasty, which is the the video Nasty exclusive podcast uh, that I do with Andy Blockley from Big Horror Little Podcast. And um, we found we recently moved over to do the non-prosecuted movies. So originally, for those that know, there was uh, 39 movies which made the prosecuted list. So these were movies that people actually prosecuted for being uh, uh, distributors of. Um, and then there was an additional 33 movies which were put on the list, but prosecutions never came from. So they were either dropped from the list quite quickly after that, or, you know, they, they remained on the list. But uh, during the, the period of the panic, there was no prosecutions against. And Dead and Buried is one of the non-prosecuted ones. Um, and it kind of blew my mind for one reason. It does not feel like a movie that should be on the video nasties list because it's incredibly well made. Um, but two, 
I just thought the story was fantastic. I really, it was one of it was one of these movies that as I was watching, I had not a clue where it was going. It felt like a feature-length Twilight movie, uh, Twilight Zone movie sort of thing. Um, and that, even the ending is very Twilight Zone. But I dug the shit out of that movie. I thought it was just, just one of these movies from the 1980s that I had no knowledge of at all. Um, and it takes the kind of the idea of zombies uh, or the reanimated dead coming back to reanimator um, in a direction that I had never seen before done and just ultimately enjoyed. I thought it was an incredible movie. Uh, not incredible as in, you know, the cinematography and all the rest, just incredible as in I sat at the end of it going, this is such a well-made movie. How have I never heard of this movie before? Um so yeah, if, if you have never heard of Dead and Buried from 1981, do yourself a favour, sit yourself down and uh, give that movie a little a little uh, watch because surprisingly good, surprisingly good, uh, really did take me yeah. back. It actually has a really good story behind it, which a lot of movies, particularly horror films, are like, okay, here's the premise and we don't really need to worry about a plot so yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that... Watching that movie is like reading a really, really good short story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. I just really was very surprised by it. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's that's my pick of a, a movie that, you know, I think is really, really good that I hadn't seen. Now let's do one that I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I don't think, once again, I'm, I'm reinventing the wheel here. Um, there was a movie last year that came out called Mr. Jones. And it's been on my Netflix queue for about a year, possibly. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, the cinematic adaptation of the Counting Crow song. I'm familiar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but with no personality or soul, um, <laughs> and no Barrio, which was disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, this movie I finally got out to watch just because I wanted to clear some of the movies that have been on my Netflix queue for a while and put more over. I kind of don't, I kind of like to limit my Netflix queue to about 15 to 20 movies. I don't like it going above that. And when it gets to the stage where it looks like it's going above that, I pick the movies that I know that have been on the list for quite a while and then just watch them. So Mr. Jones was one such movie. That movie is, is boring in a, in a way which is quite remarkable to me, but because it just never really kicks off. It never really goes anywhere. And when it does try and give you the twists and turns of the story, they are so mundane and so predictable and so signposted from about an hour before that it's one of the it's one of the few movies in the last year I found my attention being so drawn away to other things. Like, oh look a shiny penny. Um you know, just <laughs> Like, literally anything else was more interesting. Flicks of dust in the air moving around was more interesting than this movie. I found it boring and banal in a, in a way which... I just I just kind of got to that stage where I was like, I don't understand how anyone could have made this movie and felt good about it at the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it was, it just it just kind of felt like honestly it felt like everything and every person involved with this project was just going through the motions um and i don't think it was a a big name director i would imagine he's probably early on in his career if he's put this movie out and all the passion you get from first time second time directors isn't there 
this is almost like someone who has been told, right, you need to do a horror movie and then we'll give you an interesting project uh, as some sort of, you know, the horror movie, some sort of penance. Um, right, watch just, yeah. watch the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. And then go make a movie about this local legend kind of thing. Yeah, and it was just, it was so mind-numbingly boring. Like I say, it wasn't poorly shot. Uh, the acting wasn't all that great. Um, but it's just is devoid of any sort of it has no anima it has no soul as uh, as vacuous and and yeah it just really I, I was i i found myself giving it a one star um on netflix which is not something i do often um didn't like it at all really really didn't like it what about yourself what you've been uh what you've been checking out good and bad uh well let me answer that question with a question Oh, have you finished Creep yet? I have. I was going to talk about it, but then I thought Bo is likely to talk about this in the good category. So, yes, I am. Well, that prediction has come true. The prophecy yeah. has been fulfilled. <laughs> that that could be my favorite found footage movie of the year thus far. I think. Oh, sure. It's. I think it's one of my favorite horror movies I, I've seen this year, and that puts it in pretty, uh, pretty high uh, category at this yep. point. It's in my uh, top five anyway. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a deceptively simple movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it was... I think Netflix is the only platform it, it released on. Even. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And uh, But it's Mark Duplass, and I can't think of the other gentleman's name, but it, it's basically the two of them conceived the story, uh, are, are both actors in it. Like, I can't imagine this movie costs more than, you know, a few thousand dollars to make oh, really. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Now, this is in the spirit, I mean, this to me is the spirit of found footage. Yeah. You know I mean? When people talk about found footage movies, this is the spirit of found footage. It's short, low budget, it tells a very simple, realistic story um, for the most part. And it just plays into, you feel yourself, I, I find a lot of movies that are found footage where you are, basically, you are eye-level with the cameraman, I find that there's a disconnect in trying to insert yourself into what would I do if I was a cameraman. Um, this movie really brought me into that, because there's there's something about crazy, Bo, which is is unsettling. Yeah, and... and, <laughs> and this movie captures it quite well. Mark Duplass is really, really really good in this movie yeah yeah, yeah um, but but so the premise is uh mark duplis uh is a a guy who hires a videographer and the film is really told from the video videographer's point of view aaron um and he's hired to come to this sort of family cabin to hang out with uh mark duplis's character joseph for the day and film him and the idea is that Mark Duplass's character Joseph is uh, had been had, had had cancer, had beaten it, it's come back, and he's got a kid on the way, and he wants to do sort of a my life uh, scenario with Michael Keaton, where he he's paying a guy a thousand dollars to record his thoughts, and so that the the video can be played for the kid. Mm -hmm. But as the film goes on, we start to suspect uh, fairly quickly. That maybe Joseph is not exactly what he says he is and may in fact be crazy. Uh, and that 
first indication comes with a, a scene where there, I, as he puts it, he has a tubby. Yeah. Where he bathes and and cuddles an invisible child in a bath. Yeah. And it is, it is so disconcerting to watch, and I can't, I can't precisely label why it's so uncomfortable to watch that scene. Mm. But it is really upsetting to me. <laughs> There's something about it I really don't like. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah, it's it it does engage in some of the same moves that a lot of found footage films do. Uh, but I think that the characters are really interesting. I think there's some genuinely creepy moments, and the performances on both ends of it are good. And it, I, like, I was captivated all the way through it. And when you get to the end there is a long shot that you will know Duncan yeah. that mm-hmm. I thought was tremendous. I thought mm-hmm. it was exactly the right way to handle that moment that you kind of yeah. need in the film. Um, and there was a great double jump scare at one point that I, I really <laughs> like as well with the camera. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think it is. A, I don't know why. I don't know why more people are not talking about that movie just now. To me, this is, this is this year's uh, the taking of Deborah Logan. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a really yeah, is. that's a great example of yeah, a film that more people ought to be watching and there there ought to be more conversations about. And uh, I, I, I mean, on some level, it's, you could kind of put them in the same genre as well, in that from a fundamental point of view, it's about someone doing a documentary about someone who has a disease which is inoperable but as the stories branch out you find out there's more behind it than meets the eye so yeah from 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 a basic point of view they're very they have that but they both it's funny they both went straight to netflix um without anything else i, I don't think I, I think you could find it very difficult to argue the case that creep should be having any sort of cinema run Although I think it would be wonderful to see it with a crowd of people and just see the the waves of what the fuckery go across her face as the story kind of develops. But, I I mean, Netflix is probably the best place for a movie like that and that a lot of people will just... I mean, the the poster is not indicative of what the movie's about. The name is fairly ambiguous that it draws you in. Um, And if you stick with it, I think it's a wholly wholly rewarding film. A really, really, really surprised by that and something i would not have checked out if we hadn't have had our conversation uh a week ago when i did something very similar as you actually you'd watched about half the movie kind of stopped it had to do things and then picked up the second half and i was about the same i'd watched about an hour of the movie and the last 20 minutes were all i had to watch and when i went back to it um, i actually found myself going right back and watching it from the start again uh to watch it right through and yeah it was a really good movie that's i can't see that not making my top 10 at the end of the year i think it's i think it's a really good movie i'll tell you what if if that movie gets pushed out of a top 10 for me then yeah. what a great year we've had Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. If that's if that's not made my top ten at the end of the year, I will be I will be uh, praising 2015's horror cinema quite a bit. I think. Yeah, an embarrassment of riches they call that. Um, yes. So the the movie I saw that maybe isn't so good as Creep, <laughs> which is ironic because it cost about a billion times more to make. <laughs> but I saw uh, Jupiter Ascending. Oh God! Did you did you sit through it? Yeah, I. I, <laughs> I mean, yes, but because you hadn't had enough of Taylor Kitsch, you wanted more. 
no, no, no. This is the one with uh, Channing Tatum. Oh, sorry, yeah. It's sorry. Like you the, saying things about the Wachowskis, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. Ah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting muddled up with uh, John Carter. Yeah, but although I would argue that Channing Tatum is just the Taylor Kitsch that we have all agreed that we like. <laughs> you know, like Taylor Kitsch got the raw end of that deal when Hollywood was like, we need we need somebody who can who can act, has a pretty good sense of humor, and is kind of a beefcake. And both yes. Channing and Tatum and Taylor Kitsch stepped up, you know, to be at the head of that line. And Channing Tatum okay. got in. That's how I it works. Have you seen the double yet? With uh, Jesse Eisenberg. I have not, no. Right, you really need to watch that movie and then imagine that um, one version of Jesse Eisenberg, the popular version is Channing Tatum, and imagine the other version is Taylor Kitsch. And then I think you'll dig that movie <laughs> yeah. You really need to see that movie anyway. You, I've got. A, we need to talk about that movie somewhere down the line because I have a feeling that you're going to dig the shit out of that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly one that I've, I've heard good things about, but... Uh, yeah. But let's not talk about a movie that is potentially really good. Yeah, tell me about Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending is the biggest crockpot of idiocy. <laughs> uh, crockpot of idi- idiocy, now available in trade paperback. Uh, <laughs> and it is my, my written thoughts on Jupiter Ascending. Um, it, is, it, it is a ridiculous movie. And Alright, so the basic premise is this. That... Jupiter, as played by Mia Kunis, is royalty. She doesn't know it, but she has the same genetic makeup as some space princess. And she just kind of lucks into it. So if, if you are born with the exact same genetic markers as a member of royalty, according to this space government or whatever... just saying this makes me feel stupid so if you are born that way they assume you are sort of a reincarnation of that member of space royalty and you are then entitled to all of their holdings and there is a battle amongst uh one group of royal siblings over the earth and that one, the the person who had owned the earth uh has died and Mia Kunis's character is like oh surprise surprise i have the same genetic makeup and now i am now this princess of space and i own the earth and Chenny Tatum is a guy who has been spliced with wolf genetics mm-hmm. uh and has back to the future 2 rocket shoes <laughs> That are used way, way too much for my money in this movie. Uh, And bees recognize that Mia Kunis is a princess and don't sting her. Although that's not really that important to the movie in any way, but it's a scene that happens. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm telling you, man, this whole movie is a constant... Like, you're just... You're you're constantly shifting from two emotions. Mm-hmm. what the hell is going on and why did someone let this happen and i couldn't care less yeah, and you're yeah. just wavering between those two and by the time you get around to the last like 20 minutes of this movie i honestly couldn't tell you what happens at the end of this movie all i remember is that a bunch of people were flying around in space and at the end of it Mia Kuna seemed okay uh, so <laughs> 
I, I just got so bored. I could not give any less of a shit about anything that was going on in that movie. And, um, and it was really disappointing because I like, you know, of course, like the matrix and, uh, I'm actually a bit of a, uh, not a bit. I am a fan of the movie cloud Atlas. I thought that yeah, was, I think cloud Atlas is a really good movie. I yeah. think, I think it's one of those movies that see 10, 15 years from now. I think a lot of people are going to look back and say, actually, this movie is, is actually really pretty good. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think it, it got unfairly panned by the critics. I thought, um, but it, it's, as, it really ambitious. You know. Yeah, yeah. I don't, maybe it doesn't necessarily always meet up to all the ambitions it has, but I think um, I would much rather filmmakers try and make ambitious movies and get most of it right than movie makers just make you know a generic clone of something else that's come out. Um, and I mean, you could at least you could say that Cloud Atlas they were trying to push things out, but I mean the the, the Wachowskis are an interesting collaborative project now because I think I think. Especially with that movie, I think that there's this idea of a grandiose level of self-indulgence when it comes to making movies that that, that Hollywood seems to have the, the blinders on when it comes to them. They seem to make movies for... And they can't be trading solely off The Matrix. I, I, I can't believe that because The Matrix is forever ago now, but they seem to be filmmakers that can generate a lot of money or be given huge projects on a whim. You know what I mean? They don't. They don't often. They don't often make a movie for a reduced budget. Let's put it that way. They, they just, the budgets always right. seem to be massive. They, yeah, they, they in, paint on a big palette for sure. They do, yeah, and I I find that very interesting because, like we say, Cloud Atlas didn't necessarily do the money they expected it to do, or the you know the critically do well, and Jupiter Ascending bombed and was critically panned. So. I see if their next project is another three hundred million pound project. Um, I'm going to assume that you know they're beholden to Satan or something. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's really it's really weird because you see other filmmakers that I think like people like Joe Dante for example. Where I'm like that. This guy's a bankable name, and his new movie that came out this year, he had to basically scrimp and save and pulling favors from all over the place to get money to make that movie and i'm like this dude ruled the 80s you know what i mean like this guy was this guy was the bankable name in the 1980s right. he made some of he directed some of the, gremlins i mean what more it, do you know yeah exactly i mean he should be able to trade off that for the rest of his life and the fact that he had to do that to make a zombie movie when you're thinking zombie zombies just now are are still very popular um Maybe not necessarily with horror fans, but they're popular. So why do they have to do that to you know to, to get to that level? And then you obviously see the Wachowskis basically opening their door and someone throwing a suitcase of like six million dollars at them. Make a movie, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's my contribution to your next seven million dollar movie. Uh, I don't know or more because seven million dollars isn't a lot, but um, it doesn't surprise me. It's on my instant queue. Funnily enough, I just added it because it's just come out on Netflix. Um, I may just remove it, but I don't know if I can be bothered. Yeah, I dare you to care about anything that happens in the movie. <laughs> if, Challenge accepted. Yeah, if you can get through an hour of that film and 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 not be thinking to yourself, who could possibly want to watch this? Mm. Then you're a better man than I. I <laughs> I, I couldn't. I, I mean, yes, I technically the entire movie played in my home. I yeah. don't. 
I don't think the ending of that movie is something that I'm ever going to have any recollection of, unless I go back and watch it again, and that's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, why would you do that? Yeah, like, Sean Bean is, uh, like, this weird genetic B person in the movie that has almost no, no B traits. It's just stupid. The whole movie is just dumb. And it, and it could have been... I was excited about watching it because, you know, I'd heard Cloud Atlas panned, and I really yeah. enjoyed that movie, and I heard Jupiter Ascending panned, and I was like, well, maybe maybe people just weren't digging the, the groove that that movie's laying down, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the idea of the Wachowskis doing this big space opera and having all these alien races populating it and that sort of thing sounded really intriguing, and the execution of it is uh, just the worst. So, like, it's as if The Matrix and The Fifth Element had a baby... Ew. But they were a little too closely related, so the baby that came out, <laughs> you know, has like a really big forehead and the eyes are a little bit too big, and it's really obsessed with shiny things. Oh, uh, yeah, it's 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 bad news. But uh, I think I think maybe uh, we should turn our attention away from uh, from movies that we have seen recently that were, you know, done for entertainment value. They're mm -hmm. not, they're not the real deal, Duncan. They're not the weapons we have chosen Ooh, uh, with like which that. to this battle. Is... Yeah. Well, yeah, it's war. I like, I like how you're, you're linking all this in there. I like it. Yes. So, uh, the first film up is your film for me, mm -hmm. uh, which is Olzana's raid. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get into this. Um... Right, Bo, my pick for you, uh, like you said, is uh, Ozana's Raid from 1972. Now, this movie, uh, this I, I don't know why, uh, when we were doing Westerns last year, um, this movie didn't pop into my head, but I've always kind of considered this a war movie. Um, it turns out everyone else considers it a Western movie uh, for some reason, probably because it's set in the Wild West and it has cowboys and Indians in it, so maybe that's why they do it. But to me, this has always been um, pretty much a movie which, on some level, is a bit of a statement about Vietnam. Um, and I saw it a long time ago, and it was always, but and that was the bit I could remember. It was basically it was like guerrilla terrorism, um, and and like basically how you know America's actions, uh, whilst noble to the Americans, uh, or even Britain to an extent. Britain's just as bad as it now, uh, and interfering him uh, and other countries to to make them more civilized uh is basically tantamount to to uh dictatorship and terrorism um and when people fight back it's funny how quickly we paint these people as the enemies um and i may be looking too much into this film but i think i can say that yeah uh, so uh, alzana's raid from 1972 was directed by robert aldrich uh, who is a fairly famous name when it comes to the genre known as the Western, or just just generally in film, a very, very, very um, prolific filmmaker of the time. Um, and the movie stars uh, Burt Lancaster, which, th this was my safe bet, I was like, 
I can't imagine Bo would not like Burt Lancaster, so we're going to shove this in. Uh, Bruce Davison, Yorgi uh, uh, Luke, uh, Richard Janek, um, Joaquin Martinez, who plays Alzana in the movie. There's other folks in here. Uh, the synopsis is listed on IMDb. After fierce war, Chief Alzana and a small war party jumped the reservation bent on murder and terror. An inexperienced young lieutenant is assigned to track him down. Now, we're going to play a clip from uh, the movie Alzana's Raid, which uh, which Bo has selected, which best sums up um, kind of what's going on in this movie, and that clip we'll play now. Why are your people like that? Why are they so cruel? What is the reason? Is how they are. But why? Is how they are. They have always been like that. Are you like that? Would you kill, kill a man like that? Yes. Why? To take the power. Each man that die, the man who kill him, take his power. So, yes, yeah, so that's a clip from Ozana's Raid. Um, Bo, you had not seen this movie. Had you heard about it before? Uh, yeah, it had been uh, one of those movies I I was vaguely aware of. I knew that it was a Western. I knew Burt Lancaster was in it. I didn't know much more about it than that. And I had this assumed plot. Did you ever do this with a movie where you know just enough about it that you think you know what the movie should be about. Yeah, and, yeah, I do all the time. <laughs> yeah, and you have this whole invented storyline, so when you watch the movie finally, you're like, oh, this is not, absolutely nothing like what I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. And I had that experience with Olzana's Raid, for, because for some reason I was under the impression that Burt Lancaster had been raised by Indians in this movie. Oh, no, and I, I just I can, invented that. that that's I all can, made up. Can, I can kind of see why you would think that, because like even if you watch a trailer for this movie or whatever, Burt Lancaster's character is very sympathetic towards the you know the the Indians in this movie. He's very sympathetic. He, he has a mutual respect, which his his um, his fellow his fellow uh, military men um, don't have. Um, uh, basically, the, the the plot synopsis there is kind of kind doesn't necessarily do credit here. Ozana is he's uh, you know he's part of the, the the Indian tribe, and he just decides he's gonna kind of bring about guerrilla warfare uh, and cause as much trouble and menace to um, you know this this uh, this group of Amer- American cavalry, um, and he, he basically goes out there and starts creating so much trouble that they bring in Burt Lancaster to to uh, kind of track down Ozana. Um, and the movie plays out from there. Bo, what did you make of the movie? I thought this was a surprisingly complicated look at Indian relations. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and just, as you alluded to, our relationship with enemies you know, what we label an enemy, uh, while also having the unfortunate uh, characteristic of having been filmed in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. So there's some unfortunate casting in this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it 
for those of you, uh, first of all, I'm going to spoil the shit out of one of the best moments in this movie. So <laughs> if, if you haven't seen Olzana's raid, it is a wonderful movie. Go watch Olzana's raid right now and then come back and don't let me spoil one of the great moments of this movie for you because I'm gonna, yeah. um, I can't stop myself. Duncan, <laughs> I, I got to spoil. I spoil all the time. Uh, I mean, in fairness, the movie did come out in 1972, so yeah, but it's. I think I think the statute of limitations on talking about the movie and what happens in it's and we we quite spoilery on this show anyway. If you're new listeners, expect us a lot moving forward. If you're old listeners, then yeah, go and check the fucking movie out. Right, right. This is one of those that don't don't let me be the person to poorly describe to you one of the great moments of in cinema. So. Um, the, yeah, so Olzana's raid is Burt Lancaster as Macintosh, who is hired to track Olzana and his war party, Bruce Davison, a young Bruce Davison, uh, I, who I like. I, I'm a big Bruce Davison fan. I think he's a solid actor. He's one of those guys, if you see him on the uh, credits list, you know he's going to give it his all. Yeah. He's, he, that guy never phones it in. He's always a good working actor. Um, same goes for Richard Jekyll. Um, Duncan, you're, you may know that I have a, a deep affection for, uh, Richard Jekyll. Uh, I did not know that until now, but now I will keep that in mind for any future choices. <laughs> it's largely grisly based, <laughs> <laughs> but which by the way, grisly is a movie everyone should watch as well. Uh, oh, it's amazing movie. <laughs> it's incredible. So Richard Jekyll. Um, is Richard Jekyll cannot show up in a movie without dying. And, yeah. <laughs> and Olsana's raid is certainly no different. Like as soon as I saw Richard Jekyll on the screen, I'm like, Oh, he's, he's going to die. There is no <laughs> way he makes it out of this movie. Um, so, uh, Richard Jekyll is, is kind of an older Sergeant. Bruce Davison is uh, a Lieutenant. I want to say who is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, given this charge to go track Olsana along with Macintosh and Macintosh's, uh, Apache tracker companion Kinete, yeah. and uh, and yeah, so they they go off after this dude um, Olzana, who is tearing ass through the uh, uh, the territory of Arizona, um, murdering and raping along the way. Um, it's it, all right. So my initial reaction was, oh my god, this is going to be a very simple kind of nineteen thirties, nineteen forties look at um sort of native american populations and maybe i should say duncan i'm not sure if you're aware of our relationship with the native american population of uh the north american continent the indigenous peoples <laughs> here um yeah we were not the most uh thoughtful uh guests when we arrived on this continent um and we didn't get much better with age yeah. uh so we have a, uh, a genocide in our history. Hey, who doesn't? Um, where we, we systematically decimated a population of people. That's, that's the history that America comes from. And so it's unfortunate when you see films that were done, like the early John Wayne movies and stuff like that, where the Indians are always savages and they're always the enemy and blah, blah, blah. So when they first start talking in this movie about the Indians being savages, I, uh, my first reaction was, oh, crap, it's going to be one of those movies, you yeah. know? Um, and, yeah, and the, the Indians, the Apache uh, war party in this film, it does some brutal shit. Um, which is one of the things I, I really like about the movie, actually, is that 
there is some gnarly stuff that goes down. Surprisingly, yeah. surprisingly violent for even for this time period for a Western movie. I think uh, Aldrich really kind of pushes the limits of what a, a viewer would expect to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's And a lot of times you're just seeing the aftermath of these raids and filling in some gaps of what happened. Mm-hmm. But in particular, there's one guy. And the other thing that's really good about this is you see uh, as part of the story... Um, when they know Olzana is, is kind of tearing ass through Arizona, they send out a scout to all these homesteads to say, like, you need to get the hell out of here. This dude is coming and he is going to murder you and, and burn your shit. And, and that's if you're lucky. If you're not, then worse things will happen to you and yours. So get the hell back to this fort. And you do see the aftermath of a couple of these families that have been contacted and and in particular, there's, you know, this poor immigrant couple, the guy stays behind with his dog mm-hmm. to protect their land. You know, like, this is our farm. It's going to be good in a few years. We didn't immigrate here for nothing. Um, and, you know, the Apaches show up very cleverly, kind of lure the guy out. And when you see the, uh, yeah, man. All right. So <laughs> I, I want to get into the religion <laughs> stuff so bad. But so... Uh, when they finally find this guy, he's got what it's his dog's tail shoved in his mouth. Yeah. And yeah. And you see that, which it's maybe not the greatest special effect in the world, but holy crap, this dude is tortured and had his own dog's tail shoved down his throat. That's disturbing. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that, but as the film goes along and much of the film is very much about just what you had mentioned earlier, which is. Who is the real enemy here? Why are they behaving like this? Are we better than them because mm-hmm. of how we... We're both killing people, but are we killing people in a way that makes it morally acceptable? Yeah. And it's a really interesting idea. Married, Duncan. Married, I say. With the notion that religion has no place on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, they're the Bruce Davison character. His father is a minister. And when, when we start the film, he is of the mind that the reason we can't get along with the, the Apache nation is because we haven't reached out to them in a a gesture of Christian love and quickly has that illusion, uh, dispelled for him when he sees that there is real savagery at work here, that just sitting down and trying to understand someone doesn't mean you're ever going to come to an understanding, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He has, uh, as you heard in the the clip, um, this conversation with the uh, the Indian guide Kinete about um, what the nature of the Apache Nation or the Apache Warrior, and and why they are so savage. Um, again, kind of unfortunately played by a Latino gentleman. Uh, mm-hmm. As is Olzana, but uh, but I think both of them are, are genuinely trying to do their best and and not trying to do a. Uh, but that's that's, that was uh, I was about to say, isn't that um, that's indicative of the the, the era though? Yeah, so yeah, one, um, it is not. Yeah, the, it, it's not the fault of the film that it has these unfortunate casting choices. But again, looking at it with modern eyes, you're just sensitive to that because yeah. you know. But God. Try to find a bunch of, you know, Native Americans these days. Good Lord, do we have enough to populate a film anymore? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway. But, uh, yeah, all that is really interesting. There's a great... There are a couple of great lines in this movie about 
Christianity in particular, although I think it, it's more about religion in general, and the idea of a noble and just God uh, being present in a, in a place like Arizona of the film, you know, um, where when when uh, uh, Bruce Davison is being given command of this unit, uh, the the officer in charge says, you know, did you hear this quote that somebody said about Arizona? Uh, where he said, you know, if if I had my choice of Arizona or hell, I'd live in hell and rent out Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> and and Bruce Davison corrects him and says, no, I believe he, he said Texas. And he said, yeah, well, he said Texas, but he meant Arizona. Mm-hmm. And that's the world we're in. And it is hellish. Like, every, it is this des- godforsaken desert filled with nothing but danger and people who want to kill you. You know, so... Yeah. I, on the one hand, you can kind of respect the settlers there. On the other hand, you're like, well, you're also in the world of these Apache people who have grown up in this environment and are part of this environment and have the same kind of ethos of that environment, which is yeah. the strong survive. And that is the Apache mindset that they're going to kill you because they are stronger. They will become stronger in the process of killing you. Um. So, yeah. And then, you know, ultimately, this is all about tracking down Ozana, which we we get to uh that moment where we have the confrontation uh between Ozana's men and our uh our illustrious heroes question mark mm-hmm. um yeah. <laughs> and the, all right so the moment i'm gonna spoil involves two of my favorite things which is line repetitions with different meaning and richard jekyll dying in a film <laughs> so so during the big shootout like there, there's this whole uh bit where um the cavalry understands that olzana has has raped and beaten a woman and left her alive so that the uh the cavalry will split their forces and send people back to the fort with this woman and leave the rest vulnerable or both vulnerable because they've they've divided themselves and Macintosh, Burt Lancaster's character is, was it him or Kenneth A. One is like, oh, well, that's clearly they left her alive for a reason. This is yeah, why. Yeah. So what we need to do is use this to our advantage. There's a, a whole lot of this kind of chess game going on between like Macintosh and Olzana in this movie of like, if you do this, uh, like, I'm going to steal your horses and then like get off on foot so you can't track me but i'm gonna predict that you did get off on foot and then we're gonna swing around and a lot of that stuff which is kind of cool like Mm -hmm. it's almost like watching a tom clancy western because there's a lot of that maneuvering sort of thing um but yeah so they have this big confrontation in this gulch uh where they are ambushed by olzana's men using this decoy that they've created with the uh the, the poor woman who has been raped and beaten and is not in her head at all, like tries to commit suicide uh, in the previous scene, so um, she's having a terrible time uh, ultimately. But uh, so the shootout begins, and Richard Jekyll inevitably gets shot and crawls to relative safety under a wagon where Macintosh and uh, this poor lady, who was being escorted back to the fort, um, have have taken shelter as they're being uh, shot at by Olzana's men. Richard Jekyll mortally wounded. Um, asks Macintosh, Burt Lancaster's character, uh, what day it is as he's dying. Mm-hmm. And Burt Lancaster is kind of like, what the fuck? We don't have time for this. It's Wednesday. 
And Richard Jekyll is like, well, I di- it didn't feel like a, a Wednesday. And then dies. Mm-hmm. And Burt Lancaster is kind of scratching his head and then almost immediately gets shot in the back. Yeah. And you can tell by the look on his face that he is uh, mortally wounded. And he, is, he knows it. He knows as soon as he's shot, he's probably going to die. And the next thing that comes out of his mouth is him saying, huh, Wednesday. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that is so good. Oh, oh, I was on his raid. That was, <laughs> that makes me feel so good, you know? Just like, why does he care what day it is? Oh, right, because you kind of want to recognize the day you're going to die. Oh, yeah. it's so good, Duncan. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so yeah, and then the movie ends with Macintosh, um, refusing any aid from Bruce Davison, who has kind of reached a complicated real, uh, realization, uh, through the course of the film that yes, perhaps we are both, uh, both the native American people and, uh, the cavalry are really just two sides of the same coin, um, that both are behaving horribly. It's just that we get to demonize one and not the other. Yeah. Uh, that is the luxury of being the victor in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, Macintosh just pops a squad and is like, you know what? This is where I'm going to die. And they're like, do you, how about we leave some folks here to keep you company? And he's like, nah, I don't want to talk to a bunch of grave diggers. Just want some peace and quiet. Beat it. <laughs> give, give me my smokes. Get out of here. And, uh, and in classic Hollywood badass man fashion. Sits under a little tent and fucking dies out in the middle of the desert in Arizona with just a tip of the hat to his Indian companion. And Mm. it is, uh, yeah, it's a great movie, man. Uh, I know I'm kind of all over the place in the, in my description of it, but it is a surprisingly complicated and thoughtful look at a really dark part of American history. Um, Mm. but also has some very smart things to say, as you mentioned about, even modern warfare, I mean, it's you, I, I don't think it's hard to stretch the analogy to Vietnam or even something like ISIS today. Yeah. You know, yeah. where it's like you see these beheading videos, or don't see beheading videos, Jesus Christ, don't look at those. But those mm-hmm. exist on the internet. Yeah. And, you know, people doing horrible things to other people. And we demonize that and say, well, it, it's completely irrational. Why would anyone do such a thing? These people are savages. And it's the same vocabulary that that was used at the time. You know, people were, were killing uh, the American Indian population. Um, yeah. You know, for, for different reasons, I, I suppose. But at the end of the day, I don't... You know, we haven't evolved out of that. We're still dealing with the idea of what warfare makes of us. You know? Yeah. Uh, we like to believe that we are reasonable, spiritual, moral people. But at the end of the day, when you're you know, in a life or death situation or in a war of conquest. Um, maybe that's not the people we really are. And Olzana's yeah. raid makes that point in a, in a lot of interesting ways. So that's why I think I've always equated it to more a war movie than a, a Western is because fundamentally the ideology behind the movie is war. Um, and how they've chosen to play out the movie is, within one small element of one small conflict um which was happening d- during a period of time of great upheaval in America you know b- between you know uh, the arbitrary annihilation of an entire 
civilization, pretty much. Um, and I, I've always found, I've always found it quite interesting that the movie doesn't feel the need, like you were saying, to to kind of demonize the the American Indians in this movie as uh, as, as savages as such. It, it kind of leaves. It leaves up to the audience members at the end. The message is is there, but it's not it's not spoon fed to you that you know the the cavalry in this movie are just as bad as the American Indians. It's it's not done that way. It's, it's right. left for you as as if you were to take away that message if you prepare to. And I, I dare say there will be people that have watched this movie and at the end are like filthy, you know, filthy Indians, you know, or or whatever. Um, and you know, and take that as as some sort of take it completely on face value, which I think this movie, to its credit, even though it is very stark and it is very uh, very brutal in parts, and you know, very in your face with with the the actual um, events that happen in the movie, the message is handled very carefully throughout. I think, um, and I think Burt Lancaster is is phenomenal in this movie uh, he's an actor I always enjoy watching like if there's a Burt Lancaster movie you know Burt Lancaster's in any movie I'll sit down and I'll watch it and I'll you know he's, he's one of these a different breed that older school of acting which is just uh, you know these guys could just they, they, they just had a screen aura about them right which, it's you know, less about the acting than it is the personality behind the acting yeah, yeah. and he he certainly has that and i love his role mcintosh is like a, a really interesting character and his his a uh, his friendship uh with kennedy is uh is brilliant um i i, I love i actually really love Ozana in the movie i think that's played really well without without dropping straight to like you see like uh, kind of carbon stereotypes of what a what an american indian should be i think they actually handle that with a great deal of tact um and yeah i think the central message of the movie is a brilliant one a uh, one that even today i think hollywood filmmakers struggle to put forward when dealing with war movies i mean all you have to do is watch a movie like american sniper to see how one-sided the message is um where you know that movie did incredible business in America, didn't do incredible business anywhere else in the world, really, because the message was a little bit too pro-American. Um, which I mean, there's a place for that in times of conflict, but um, I love the idea of this movie just kind of putting things, putting things out there and allowing you to make your mind up about it. And I mean, there's there's no. There's no um, accident that you know this. This is kind of dealing with a lot of subject matter, which is very, very blatantly aimed at things like Vietnam. I mean, even for the time period, etc. Um, I find that I think it's, I think it's an amazing movie. Um, and yeah, I'm really glad that you got a chance to see it. And uh, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, my case for it being considered a war movie is. It's something you take on board and, and you don't necessarily just tar it with a western brush because I think there's plenty in there that carries it over. Ultimately, uh, all right, one other thing I want to say about the religion thing in Olzana's Raid. Uh, cool. uh, another line that I thought was really good um, and also I think illuminates kind of the, the movie's attitude about religion, which is, again, at the very end of the movie when Macintosh has been shot, and there's a, a lot of discussions, as we've talked about, about 
religion on the battlefield and is it the old testament god versus new testament god that belongs in that place is it the eye for an eye guy or the turn the other cheek guy <laughs> and uh at the end of the movie uh when mcintosh is dying is telling bruce davison to you know fuck off so he can die in peace uh bruce davison says well that that's not very christian and mcintosh very flatly says no it's not and that's it. That's the end of the discussion of like, you know, him, him basically telling Bruce Davison's character, if you, if you want to carry that religion with you, that's fine, but it's not going to do you any good out here. That's mm -hmm. just not what this world is. And I, I think that's one of the, the most successful parts of uh, this movie in general is that it creates a very real, very dangerous, very threatening world of this territory of Arizona. Like, they do a good job of making that environment um, really, really lived in, and, and it feels authentic. And, you know, if you watch the end of the movie, they, they really uh, impress upon uh, the viewer how many, like, state parks they filmed in and stuff to, to I'm sure, capture uh, the unauthentic look at the West. Um, my biggest complaint with the movie, Duncan, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. um, at the end of the movie when we're tracking down Ozana, there's about five more minutes of climbing around on rocks than I needed. Really? <laughs> yeah, they're, like the, the point where Kenete in particular is trying to track down the, uh, the spotter, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of hopping around on rocks. And I get it, but it goes on a little too long, but that is a very, very minor complaint. <laughs> um, when you're talking about a movie that is filled with it, well, it's chock full of Burt Lancaster for one thing, and that's never bad. Um, but it also has great performances from Bruce Davison and, uh, um, Richard Jekyll. I almost forgot mm -hmm. the, the name of the guy I enjoy seeing die on screen. <laughs> uh, I almost said Sean Bean again, cause he dies and everything. Uh, <laughs> Sean Bean is our Richard Jekyll, by the way. That is the this generation's Richard Jekyll. If he shows up in a movie, chances are he's dead. Him and Larry Fezzedin. Larry Fezzedin dies in fucking everything. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I wonder if he just requests that at this point. I think he probably does. I think very much like uh, Larry Cohen, uh, not Larry Cohen, uh, what's his face? Uh, trauma guy. Oh, Lloyd Kaufman, yeah. Lloyd Kaufman will appear in your movie for like $1,000, and if you pay for his plane ticket, he'll appear in any movie. I think that um, <laughs> I think that Larry Fesden probably will be in any movie, but the, the, the onus is that he'll only do it if you kill him off in it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, that is, uh, that's my take on Olzana's raid. It's, mm -hmm. a, uh, it's a strong pick, Duncan. Holy crap. It has, I, there are so many moments when watching this movie that I recognize from other Westerns that I really like, and I realize yeah. that they lifted it from Ozana's Raid. Mm. You know, like there's a great scene in Silverado um, where I want to say it's, is it Danny Glover maybe? Or, or anyway, one character ends up having his horse shot and ends up laying behind it in cover for a long time and I was like, Oh, that that's just taken from Olzana's raid. Yeah. So yeah. um Alright. Uh are you ready? Are you ready, Duncan? For mm -hmm. return fire. 
Yes, I am indeed. I am. I am I'm well well stocked up in my trench right now, ready ready for you to return your fire. Because I've got a Kubrick shaped bullet headed right for you. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, Doctor Strangelove, my pick for you. Um, mm-hmm. So I went into this episode uh, feeling very confident. Watching all Zana's raid uh, shook that confidence some because mm-hmm. it is a strong, strong movie. And then I rewatched Doctor Strangelove, and I was like, oh, right, right, Doctor Strangelove, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I feel good. Um, I think Doctor Strangelove is the definitive Cold War film, not mm-hmm. ju- not just in terms of a comedy, although it is certainly that. It is alternately a very broad comedy, uh, down to some ridiculous sight gags. And uh, a very sharp and incisive look at uh, the ridiculous nature of mutually assured destruction. Um, it is, uh, according to uh, the, the good people at IMDb, they say, uh, Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, released in 1964. Uh, their synopsis says, uh, an insane general triggers a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically try to stop. Um, that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think uh, it. you have to mention right off the bat that Peter Sellers plays three distinct roles in this film. Yes. Uh, as uh, Captain Lionel Mandrake, the British RAF uh, assistant to... Uh, General Jack D. Ripper, as played by Sterling Hayden. The the names in this movie are just ridiculous. There's like Jack <laughs> D. Ripper, there's Bat Guano, Lionel Mandrake. Uh, Peter Sellers also plays the President of the United States named Merkin Muffley, which is mm-hmm. also good. And uh, the titular character, Dr. Strangelove. Um, I will now play a clip uh, of one of the many iconic scenes from this film. In this one, uh, the... American president has to place an uncomfortable conversation or uh, an uncomfortable phone call to the uh, Russian premier to explain the fact that one of their uh, one of their generals has gone, as he puts it, funny in the head and has sent a squadron of bombers uh, headed for Russia to drop their payload. Now then, Dmitry, you know how. We've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb. The bomb, Dimitri. The hydrogen bomb. Well, now, what happened is um, one of our base commanders, he had a sort of, well, he went a little funny in the head. You know, just a little funny. And... uh, He went and did a silly thing. Well, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his planes to attack your country. Uh, Well, let me finish, Dimitri. So, Duncan, that is just a glimpse at the genius of Peter Sellers in this movie. Um, Goodness, he's good. Uh, But I like the movie. Everyone else likes the movie. Why don't you like this movie, Duncan? Well, Bo, I do like this movie. <laughs> um, we should be upfront and honest. I had seen this movie before, but could remember so little about it that it kind of felt like 
and the, the the majority of the other films for I made a statement earlier on that um not on this show, earlier on in the season, that I don't watch a lot of war movies. It's not really my cup of tea. And um, it turns out I've actually seen a lot more than I thought I had. Uh, So when you'd sent me your list of movies, I had seen all of two, I think, on your list. Uh, Doctor Strangelove originally didn't spring to mind until I realised that doing a bit of research, that Kubrick had directed it. I'm a huge Kubrick fan. So one of my favourite directors of all time. Um, so then it suddenly dawned on me, ah, yeah, I have seen this movie, but have um, no kind of little knowledge at all, if any, of, of actually what happened in the movie. And so it was a logical choice for you to capitalise on Bo, which you did. Oh, very I'm opportunistic. Like yes. <laughs> very much like in war. You capitalized on that weakness and you brought forward this film. And once again, it's probably it's probably good to, to be upfront and honest that yes, Kubrick is like he's up there to me with people like Cronenberg and Lynch in terms of you know, directors that when you watch their work, you know it's them. You know, you could almost blind test uh, sit down and watch a Kubrick film and you would know from those wide static shots that oh this feels very I mean there's a reason that we do we compare things you will say that these shots are very Kubrickian because you know that's just a word which is now in the vernacular of a cinephile um, and Peter Sellers is an actor that I grew up with um, I am a huge fan of the Pink Panther movies um, and it's not to say that you know, that's the only movies he did, but he, he became a bit typecasted on his own back, kind of, he played into it a lot by his work as Clouseau, uh, the, the buffoon French detective from the Sûreté, and um, I grew up with that man, so it, I enjoy Peter Sellers when Peter Sellers is having fun, and he is having a whole hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, across the board, movie. yeah. Uh, yeah, playing three completely different characters, um, in the movie, one being a kind of general, one being uh, Doctor Strangelove himself, another one being the President of the United States. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that make this movie, to me, an incredibly strong movie. I mean, incredibly strong. I, growing up in the UK, have a firm grasp of irony and satire. Uh, it... it pretty much is all over our television over here all the time um we are we are a country that generally enjoys a good bit of satire whether it's political or social commentary um these things are are all over quite a lot of our television so um to see a movie which is so grounded in satire um and dark humor uh, delights me anyway and Kubrick was always famed for being a director who was very cold and clinical um, and when you see this movie I think if anyone hasn't seen this movie um, this is as close as to a straight comedy as Kubrick ever got and it's a funny as fuck movie so I will take Kubrick's attempt at dark comedy any day of the week over the majority of comedy movies released today by so called comedy directors like any day of the week oh sure um, it's it's incredible. The movie is is structured, and and such a such a fucking. I mean, it's genius. There's, it there's moves footages. so fast, Doug. Like in the first fifteen yeah. minutes, that those those bombs are on the way. 
Yeah, and that's you. You're in the story and you're jumping between... I mean, there are sequences shot in this movie that feel like actual documentary war footage. And they're not. They're not. Kubrick shot those sequences. And it, it feels like handheld on the ground and that's Kubrick that's Kubrick's like we need some sequences where there is actual like sequences of war here so instead of using stock footage which any lesser director probably would have at that time no Kubrick goes out and recreates it and recreates it so authentically that I watching that movie thought it was stock footage um there are there's everything to love about a Kubrick movie in here you have huge massive wide screenshots of war rooms you have the attention to detail is second to none um you have george c scott who is phenomenal in this movie oh, oh my god so good in this movie so fucking good in this movie um uh, playing alongside that would never have pegged george george c scott as being a funny guy either but he is funny as fuck in this movie see when he's describing the plane can the plane make it through and he's like, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, it's this guy thrusters here, and it's flying around. And then all of a sudden, he kind of realizes that he's, this is not what the president wants to hear. And he's like, <clears throat> yes, president. Uh, right. I believe it. Yeah. He gets so excited about how good our boys are that, of course, they can sneak into Russia and drop a payload. Yeah. There, there's a, another great moment, not, not to step on you here, but when uh, George C. Scott is making a point to the president and starts to back up and goes into a tumble, and then just recovers and keeps going, that's really funny to me as well. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, there's things as well in this this movie that, now having watched it again, I'm just going to quote incessantly, because I think they're funny as fuck. Um, like, <laughs> like when you when you see uh, Peter Sellers as the as a kind of more aristocratic English general, and the guy <laughs> yeah. comes in with the, the almost unpronounceable surname, and he looks at him and goes, in general... But Blatislavic, if that is your real name, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, the guy's like, uh, the guy's get back and we're like, what? Uh, eh? You know, uh, just things like that. The small attention to comedic timing it helps when you've got Peter Sellers in this movie, who's a man who was naturally gifted with amazing comic timing, um, and he delivers the lines really well. Doctor Strangelove as a character is so bizarre and so quirky that it's captivating to watch. Um, I mean, the movie does a lot of... It's funny because you were talking previously about, uh, in the previous movie, you were saying there was a little bit too much uh, climbing rocks and tracking down uh, in certain sequences, you know, which lasted maybe five, ran maybe about five minutes too long. And on some level, you could maybe throw the same accusation at this movie where you have whole sequences of people. It's like long take shots for things that are necessarily, wouldn't necessarily require a long take shot, but Kubrick loves long take shots, so you get them, whether it's uh, the the reading out of, of bomb instructions and the, 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 the camera following the flicking of switches on and off in a plane sequence, which, you know, any any other movie would maybe spend 30 seconds showing a guy flicking a couple of switches to prime a bomb. There's a sequence in one of the plane cop kits that lasts nearly about three and a half minutes, four minutes, where I had to check, because I was like, we, I feel like I've spent a long time in here. But it's probably more realistic that in real life, people don't just drop bombs without double-checking, triple-checking, quadruple-checking, 
details back and making sure that this is activated and this is activated. And it goes through the almost the, the mundane elements of, of what would actually be required to for an airstrike that the, the kind of film focuses on a bit literal and... Um, I, you know, I think it works. Like the previous movie, those sequences, you know, those prolonged sequences of tracking didn't bother me either, just as this one doesn't necessarily bother me again. Um, yeah, I think the story's very, very clever. I think the the war room is a place which every time it comes back on the screen, I'm like, oh, we're going to get some fun here. Oh, um, yeah. it, it's just... And it's it's a great cast. It's a great cast of people that are are having so much fun. Um, and you would never you would never think that people would say the sentence or oh, actors having fun on the set of a Kubrick film, because um, you know that that reputation of the man being very much the dictator. You know, <laughs> in the movie of he knew exactly what he wanted, and he would he would film for days and days on one shot to make sure he got exactly what he wanted, uh, even if it was just the the, the minutia of an actor's facial expression. If that didn't fit with Kubrick, you shot it again from the beginning. Um, I, but the movie just flows. I think you're right. The movie flows, and I think it's a testament to how how quick a watch this is that I have watched it. You know, two days back to back. Um, I laughed at just the same bits. Uh, the names are very, very funny. I mean, Merkin Muffley. I mean, come on. Right, right. Like, like if people don't. If you don't know what, if you don't know what a Merkin is, it's um, it's a toupee for your for your genitals. Um, and the the fact that the the surname's Muffley, Muffley, come on. Right. Come on. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, you don't have to go too far in this movie to find kind of a dumb pun. Yeah, it's just it's 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 so so funny, um, and yeah, I think fundamentally at its core, it deals with, um, like you say, the 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 paranoia, the itchy triggered finger um, of the Cold War, where where our generation grew up with the threat of nuclear war as just a daily. It's just a daily acknowledgement that this could this could all be over tomorrow. Uh, this could all be over in an hour. Um, and that idea of growing up in that scenario where you have two stalwart opponents, a, a clear line drawn across a map of uh, friendly nations and unfriendly nations um, and how, how fragile that line actually is in reality if someone decided to to be slightly more impulsive and rash on one side and how the other would counter that i think it's i think it handles all that very well and uh, it is an incredibly witty dark sophisticated movie made by arguably one of the greatest filmmakers in the world and starring arguably one of the the greatest comedians of the of the time uh, yeah there's there's not there's not there's nothing that I can really point to in this movie as being a negative. I, 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 I genuinely, I mean, there's, there's things I haven't even touched on, but it's almost as if Kubrick wanted to tickle my asshole with this movie by making it black and white. Cause that's, he knows how much <laughs> I fucking love black and he white did. movies. It was in his memoirs. He was like, Duncan loves black and white and Dr. Yeah, Strangelove but... retroactively. Yeah. I will make it's, for him. It's so, I mean, that, that's, that's, the, the the to use an American term the frosting on the, the 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 muffin or the frosting on the cupcake with this one it's it's you know we call that icing over here the frosting on the muffin is not yeah. a thing Americans say it is now it is now 
right, you're right. No. Yeah, no, that's just the frosty on the muffin. I got it. Yeah, from there right. on, from on, that's a scene on this show. <laughs> when someone hit, when someone get something right the new seeing on duncan and bo come correct is that it's the frosting on the muffin all right all right I want etched it. in stone i want that on my gravestone i want it read it in my eulogy which you will read out because i'm <laughs> scottish which statistically i die before you i think um yeah right the, it's the frosting on the muffin and when my when my mother comes up and says to you why the fuck do you she should know just hit her in the face slap her say the frosting on the muffin um, right he, yeah I, your son asked me to do this I'm sorry for your loss and smack. <laughs> and smack. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, I genuinely think this movie is pretty much a perfect movie. Um, well, people, but your thing is, Obo, it's when we come down to the actual discussion at the end where my, where my dilemma comes up. Because yeah, this movie is pretty much a perfect movie, but in the context, in the context of the war movie... I think these movies are, are are damn near neck and neck, and I, we, we will get into it. But, but when it comes to central message, I think the movies are so alike, but just the the approach is different. The, the, I think it's I think it's again in classic DBCC fashion, we have approached things that like any other show would have picked something like fucking Black Hawk Down and the Thin Red Line. Heartbreak you know, Ridge would have been mine. Yeah, yeah, or what do you call it, uh, Apocalypse Now, or, you know, things like that. You sure, know, Platoon, when, when, yeah. Yeah, down that road, and what we've done is we've taken this idea of war, um, almost on a philosophical level, this idea of war, made by filmmakers who then put it in unlikely, uh, you know, unlikely environments to put that message forward. Um, and I think I think there are a few movies that could claim to handle the idea of war in a fashion which Doctor Strangelove does. I think there's I, I, I can't actually off the top of my head think of any satirical comedies. Maybe out with something that loosely touches on it. Maybe like something like um, uh, maybe in the loop, for example, sure, where sure. this idea of war is in the background and we're dealing with politicians. Maybe is one that I can think of as being roughly in the same ballpark. But even that doesn't deal with with actual war on the ground in a way that Doctor Strangelove does, but still manages to make it very darkly comedic. So, yeah, I think it's a phenomenal fucking movie. Yeah, so let's take just two seconds to talk about some of the hilarity in this film. <laughs> just two? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, one of my new favorite moments in Doctor Strangelove that I... I'd always acknowledged as being funny, but it, the last time I watched... Well, I watched it again yesterday, but watching it then... It, it struck my fancy in particular is the moment where uh, Mangrove is trying to get the three-letter code. There, There's a code that they can use to send directly to this uh, squadron of B-52s to call them back. And only the crazy person, which, by the way, I can't believe we've gotten this far without using the words bodily fluids yet. But... <laughs> so the, the whole point of of Sterling Hayden launching the attack is that he believes that communists are trying to use fluoride to steal, to, to taint our pure, our purity of essence. Yeah. So as, as the president points out a little funny in the head, um, 
but there's a great moment where Mangrove, after the the uh, the base has been attacked by government forces trying to reclaim control of of the base, um, where uh, Mangrove is trying to kind of make friends with uh, Ripper, and is like, yeah, remember. Uh, when we were fighting together just over there a few minutes ago and you had the machine gun and I had the belt and was feeling, and he just kind of goes, yeah. And <laughs> like, it's <laughs> as if he's wistfully nostalgic about this thing that happened 45 seconds before. And it just killed me. Um, there are so many moments in, in this movie that are like that. The conversation, which you heard a piece of in the clip where the president is, is trying to, explain how sorry he is about the whole situation and that you know when he says like oh don't tell me that i'm not capable of being just as sorry as you are dimitri uh about all this <laughs> i feel terrible that. about this uh, it's just so ridiculous and george oh, what, about, what about the fact that that, that dr strange love is clearly part of operation paperclip the guy is a nazi <laughs> he can't <laughs> At one point, the beast has to bite his hand to stop himself saluting. <laughs> so it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's almost as if fully the right half of his body is just all Nazi. And he can't yeah. control it. And yeah, that, that sequence where he's trying to resist his urge to to do the uh, the Sea Heil. Yeah. And, and the fact that he keeps calling the president Mind Fuhrer. Mind Fuhrer, it's oh. every time he says that, I think it's it's just it's just brilliant. I think it's yeah, I think like it's it's such a quotable movie, but I mean it's occupied by characters which are so extreme, and um and the 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 portrayal, you know, so so extreme, but on some level very rooted. And and this, I I mean, I think the the president of the United States being the way he is, being almost kind of the the inverted version of what you would expect a president to be, like you know, like that particular sequence where he is, you know, I don't think anyone could be as you know, I can, I'm capable of being just as sad about this as you are, you know, these things to 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 Dimitri on the phone, these things are, you know, they're, they're just so well balanced out. Um, and to have Peter Sellers playing three characters, but playing them so resolutely individual to the other ones that there's, yes, you obviously know it's Peter Sellers, but there's no trait of any of the three characters that are interchangeable. Yeah. So, like, if you watch it, like, classic example of where that has got lost in today's society is watching something like Eddie Murphy and watching, like, fucking... What do you call that movie? The, the Nutty Professor. Ah, you watch the Nutty Professor, and he's basically—it's—it's it's not only does it look like Eddie Murphy, he's basically playing the same character seven times around the table, but just putting a female accent on it. And then you watch—you watch how it should be done by a master. You watch someone like uh, Peter Sellers play three completely different characters and embody those three completely different characters and make them feel like genuine standalone characters but still retain the comedic value of them is just a testament to how great he is absolutely and and not to undersell george c scott oh who, he is brilliant he is brilliant in this movie when when he is reading the sort of manifesto that ripper sends out the letter that he sends out prior to uh him you know sending out this fake order to launch the uh, the squadron towards russia 
And as George C. Scott, it's, it's very much like the scene where he gets all excited about, you know, how good the, the boys in the, in the, uh, uh, bomber are. Yeah. Uh, as he's reading this letter about like, hey, we got to take the fight to the Russians. You know, that's sort of the premise of the whole thing. He's getting more and more excited and convinced by what he's reading up until he gets to the bodily fluids thing at the end. And then says, like, well, our, our boys are uh, trying to figure out what he meant by that last part. <laughs> but but otherwise, you know, he makes some good points here. And and there are a couple of times in the movie where people will acknowledge, like, oh, yeah, this sort of, you know, warmongering. And I think that's part of the genius of this movie, is that the warmongering that you see from the Ripper character is exactly the kind of warmongering you would expect from someone in that position with only the difference of the bodily fluids thing being the differentiator, you know? Yeah. Like, like that is the slight touch of the absurd in a character that is probably a fairly real kind of guy, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the, the whole thing about Dr. Strangelove is that, yes, you have these scenes on the bomber that are these very technical looks at, all right, we're flipping switches and reading codes back and forth. But in my mind, that creates that documentary feel you need to ground the movie so that when Dr. Strangelove st shows up and can't stop saluting, that that just makes it all the more ridiculous, but also kind of believable in this world. Yes, definitely. And um, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's really, really funny. And and I would say if, if you're a fan of films and you've always been slightly put off by Kubrick's, you know, kind of clinical approach to film. Yeah. I think this is maybe his most accessible movie. Yes, I would, I would probably agree with that. I think this is the one where you don't, you don't, I don't even think you need to have the aesthetic appreciation of what Kubrick does to guide you through a movie, which you don't necessarily find enjoyment in. Like, I know a lot of people, for example, that don't like watching something like A Clockwork Orange, but will rave about how it's shot. Um, you don't get that in this movie. I think this movie is genuinely a very, very clever, yet very accessible um, dark comedy. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, a, uh, like I say, pretty much a perfect movie. Yeah, it, it's very funny. So, uh, all right, the time has come, I feel. That we, yes. uh, we, we sorted out. Um, I will, let me give you my defense of Dr. Strangelove. Here's why I think this should be your pick. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, yes, it gets me the point, but it makes us a better show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think Dr. Strangelove is the, the best example of, a catch twenty two style parody of war, like the movie version of Catch Twenty Two, is never go going to be as sharp and satirical as the book is. For whatever reason, Doctor Strangelove is just going to be that movie. Like it, it is absolutely perfect for capturing a moment in time. It is as as unhistorical record. It is genius in that way coupled with that you have the seller's performance or, or three performances and like you mentioned he disappears in those roles it is just peter sellers is gone and here's mandrake the president and dr strangelove 
Um, any of those performances would have been really good. The fact that there are three performances like this in this movie, I, I almost don't. I, I almost think the movie wins just on that basis because anytime Sellers is on screen in this film, you're captivated. You can't look away, and yeah. it's not. It's not like the Lancaster performance where it's like Burt Lancaster is just Burt Lancaster. Yeah, you know that Sellers is a. It's just a master class in in comedic performance. Uh, you have all these nice little moments with like Slim Pickens, uh, which which are very funny. Um, his speech to the crew in particular, when he's like, "You boys are all gonna get commendations when we're done with this," and that means all of you. You know, clearly talking about the one black crew member that they have on the on the plane, uh, who's James Earl Jones, interestingly. Yeah. Um, who, who doesn't really do anything? It's a real, I would imagine, fairly early. Uh, role for him but um so yeah i just i i i think it is a perfect encapsulation of what a war movie should be in the sense that it has a perspective it's very smart um it doesn't necessarily insist its views on you although it's not hard to quickly understand what those views are and i don't think there's been a better movie other than things like Day After and Threads and, and that sort of thing where, you know, they try to give you the horror of the aftermath of a nuclear attack. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's another movie that's been made that so accurately shows the madness that is involved in the idea of nuclear war at the root. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Kubrick besides, and you know, the fact that the, the shots are incredible and I like how the audio changes when you go from the long shots to the close shots, uh, the low angles that he uses on Sterling, uh, Sterling Hayden as Ripper are really great because all you got this big, like pit bull mug filling the camera all of a sudden. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I do think it's, it's almost a perfect movie as well. And I think it's, uh. I think it's the the better of the two movies, even though Ozana's Raid is incredible, and everyone should watch it. Mm. I know. it's I, I'm convinced. I convinced me. I talked myself back into loving <laughs> Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> a movie that you already love. I, a movie yeah. I already love, but as I was saying those things, I was like, you know what, Bo? You are right. This movie is great. <laughs> eh. Yeah. I didn't, and Alzana's yeah. rating is great. Don't no one's arguing. Because, that. Yeah, I think I think I think what I think to me I think what I'm getting hung up on with maybe not is maybe not necessarily what the what's in, in keeping with the spirit of the show. Uh, in keeping with what the spirit of the show is, what is the better movie? Well, and also who? All right, but there is also the element of who came with the best recommendation. Because to, to me, to me, yes, I totally, I totally agree with you. I find myself gravitating more towards the message in Osana's raid as a as a kind of the, the allegory for war than I would necessarily, and that might just be a generational thing. Than necessarily, and obviously where I where I where I grew up, um, as I would to Doctor Strangelove. There's no contest in my mind that Doctor Strangelove is the better movie. Um, on every on every level is the better movie. The central message about it 
I probably go more with Ozana's raid because I I like that message and I think it's handled very well in that at the end of that movie. I feel I feel it delivers a message maybe slightly better than Doctor Strangelove, but as the spirit of the show goes, I really need to come down to what was the better suggestion? What did I enjoy watching more? And there's no competition. You're right. Um, Doctor Strangelove is the better movie. Uh, I can I can happily... I'm, I'm basically arguing over two movies I love here, um, and I would feel no guilt or shame... Um, and saying that you picked the better suggestion this week at all. All right, so uh, let me let me make an argument for your case a little bit right. here, just, just to try to talk talk you back into disagreeing. So <laughs> on on one level, if you take the the spirit of the show to be, I, I'm trying to recommend the best movie for you personally. Yeah, Doctor Strangelove may not be as good a pick as you choosing Ozana's Raid for me. Yeah, but... but I, I mean, do, that's do, mincing a little bit, but... Do, do we always do it that way, though? I think what we tend to do without, you know, letting people peek behind the curtain, what we tend to do is not necessarily cater specifically to that person's taste as we do present a, a list of movies which the other one picks from. Yeah. It just so happened that when you picked that movie, I was like, oh, you're going to love this. It's got Burt Lancaster in it. Um, straight away, I did, did, you know I mean, were you conscious that Burt Lancaster was in it before you selected it? I, I don't know about that. And to me, I knew... I had seen Doctor Strangelove when I knew Kubrick was again, you know, was was the name against it. But at the same time, I couldn't really remember anything about the movie. So, uh, yes, if I, I would agree with you, if if this was me picking a movie which I thought one hundred percent is catered directly to you, then yeah, on some level, maybe we could maybe argue that I have I have done really well. But I think ultimately it's about it's about picking a movie within the genre that we think best represents that genre in a way which we are surprised the other one hasn't seen yet, and then putting that movie forward. And from that point of view, arguing your case, Doctor Strangelove is definitely the better of the two. All right, yeah, I th- I just don't want to walk out of this episode with an asterisk anywhere. You know no, what no, I mean? No, I, I, no, I, th- I think yeah. The, the, the longer, the longer we think about it, ultimately, ultimately, like I'm saying, we come down to. to I'm saying that the other movie has a message which which I more gravitate right. to, but a movie can have a great message and be be handled poorly, for example. Um, and I'm not saying that Ozana's Raid is handled poorly, no. but the the message is handled in such a like a maestro's way handled it with Kubrick, so it's difficult not to, it's difficult not to sit there and say that Doctor Strangelove, like you said, it probably, arguably is one of the greatest movies of all time dealing with the subject of war without going into all the cliches that you get from a war movie. This is, this doesn't do that, and you could argue that Ozana's Raid follows some, you know, cliches that you expect through American Western films about the the, the the kind of the strong silent type at the end, shooing everyone off to die in peace with these, you know, that is very cliche. Even by 1972, that's very cliche. Um, Dr. Strangelove has none of them at all. There isn't one cliche in that. If anything, it is, it is almost like the anarchist's way of approaching how to put forward a, a, you know, a Cold War story in that it, it puts a rather uncomfortable microscope 
over a lot of a lot of things that people don't want to ask questions of or feel uncomfortable talking about. But at the same time as putting that microscope over there, it, it puts it forward in a very kind of comedic, satirical way, which you laugh at, but once you're finished laughing, if you think back over what you've laughed at, it's scary how many of these things actually happen. Um or how many how how pertinent and real those things are, even today, even with the threat of Cold War being over. Um so yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I could go on and on and on. Yeah, I think I you talked me I, into it. I think Yeah, I think yeah, I think I think I feel I would feel more comfortable walking away saying that Doctor Strange Love is the winner this week than I would. I think if I went Alzheimer's raid, I think even a couple of days from now I'd be going, ah, actually Strange Love is the better movie. So Strange Love gets my point. Alright, I, I think yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think Doctor Strangelove is the is the winner here. Although the fact of uh, listeners that Olzana's raid was such a a close second is is shocking to me. Yeah. You know, in, in a great way. Like that I, I'm happy that we have to parse out it, like is Olzana's raid as good or better than <laughs> Doctor Strangelove, uh, at the end it's of the been a while, yeah, since we've had to do that with a movie, a movie choice. Generally, we're both kind of it's very seldom we disagree, and we're not even. I wasn't even disagreeing with you. I just I needed I needed further convincing of the fact that Strangelove was a better movie, and I think you have done that. Excellent, excellent. So Doctor Strangelove and uh, by by virtue myself, uh, winners of episode three bringing the uh, total to two to one so mm-hmm. all right so all season long i've either we've either tied or i have been in the lead i've been in the lead two of the three weeks yes yes so things are going to get real <laughs> um th- this is almost exactly what happened last year though or last season where, I think this is identically what happened yeah, last season. Where I did uh, early going, I was I, I had strong picks, I was hammering it, and then you you just came up with a string of winners, and and honestly, in categories I totally expected to win, particularly the documentary stuff. So yeah, um, we are we're we're back at that point where I feel like I have to be more guarded because I'm in the lead, and I don't. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> I feel I'm, I am scared, uh, but uh, we will uh, we will come back and discuss two uh, more movies in uh, in short order and and, yes. and see. I, I'll tell you if I go up three one, just go ahead and get the trophy ready. <laughs> At that point, you're not catching up. I will. I, I'm I'm just going to keep picking close encounters. <laughs> And you're going to be like, I've seen that already. And I'm like, I know, but Winter Beast. I'm going to make you watch Close Encounters again. <laughs> under under the umbrella of the Winter Beast rule. So, Duncan, now that you've been uh, humiliated by your poor choice of films. <laughs> I think is one way to describe the events of this episode. Yeah. Not accurate, but it's a way to describe it. Um what uh, what do you have coming up that you would like uh, people to know about? Um, currently, Podcast Under the Stairs is doing a top 10 look at uh, my pick for top 10 Christopher Lee performances in the horror category against top 10 picks uh, of Vincent Price. Um, we're currently working our way down 
that uh, list at the moment. It has been a surprisingly tough contest already, even though I'm only a couple of episodes into it. Uh, I'm very proud to say that you will be on one of those shows, which which I'm looking forward to recording. It's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, it's um, it's as always uh, the the opportunity to do a top ten show and try and think outside the box with the the top ten categories. Uh, which is what I try and do uh, when I do them is uh, is a lot of fun and this one is one that I've I've genuinely really kind of enjoyed the fact that I'm getting a chance to look over some of the best movies produced in the the fifties sixties and seventies with two of the greatest horror icons that ever lived so I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm spoiling myself as well as my listeners each week. Um, <laughs> And we're, we're, we're moving rapidly towards the two-year anniversary of the podcast Under the Stairs, which, um, who would have thought it? Definitely not me. I didn't think I'd be... I, don't, I didn't think my show would last two years um, and and still be something that people enjoy listening to and interacting with. And that side of things has been has been a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's that's what I've got coming up there. Uh, myself and yourself are still going through. We've only got two episodes left of True Detective Season 2, which has proven to be uh, a roller coaster of emotions, uh, that show at the moment. It really has been a show of highs and lows. Um, but thoroughly enjoying that. Can't wait to see where that goes. And um, the other show that I'll plug at the moment is uh, Doing the Nasty, which uh, is over on Horophilia, and we're doing the non-prosecuted list at the moment. And we have a ton of movies which are staples of the horror genre coming up. In fact, I think about two weeks' time, one of the movies we'll be discussing is Evil Dead. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of a lot of awesome Yeah, awesome I've, I've heard Evil Dead's up. good. Uh, yeah, someone once told me that, and I just kind of brushed it off. <laughs> so you're t- you're talking nonsense. What about yourself? What you got coming up? Uh, you know, I strangely these days, uh, pretty much all the shows I do, uh, you are on as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with with one notable exception, uh, that would be the Shodcast, which is the uh, the video game podcast that uh, comes out uh, about every two weeks, fortnightly. Some would call it. <laughs> love it daily fortnightly that's our rule here daily fortnightly yeah people will get that if they listen to the other yeah <laughs> if they listen to true detective shows yeah so that's the frosting on the muffin bowl that, frosting on the muffin oh that is some delicious muffin frosting um <laughs> <laughs> so if you go to legionpodcasts.com um there you'll see links to you know the facebook and the twitter and uh, our itunes feed as well so um yeah thanks for for listening to all that stuff uh you guys have been great and and feel free to drop us a line uh at legion podcasts uh via the facebook or, or twitter or email at the uh, dbcc at dbccpodcast.com um yeah so uh that's it i know that didn't answer your question because it wasn't really about stuff i'm do- i'm doing in the future <laughs> i just answered the question i wanted you to ask i guess uh, but, uh, no, coming up, we are doing, uh, um, on the shotcast, we will continue, uh, to cover the video game stuff. And, uh, uh, I feel like we may end up picking another show somewhere down the line to do a true detective style recap on. Uh, I was thinking, oh, yes. I was thinking about this last night and I'm not sure if you're aware, Duncan, but, uh, two shows are returning that might be worth, uh, consideration. Uh, one of them is the X-Files. Oh, I would love that. And the other is Twin Peaks. 
Oh, I would love that as well. You're just you're just picking like my like shows from my youth that I love more than life. <laughs> it, and I think both of those might be interesting examples because they could both be total train wrecks. Yeah, and... yeah, the ones that we have high expectations of going into. Yeah, you know, what I mean, very much like we did with True Detective, the expectations were ridiculous for that show, almost to a level that that show was never going to live up to the uh, sure. to the expectations we had. And the same, I think. Uh, anyone that is expecting 100% gold from Twin Peaks needs to go back and see that second season again. Um, yeah. Really needs to go back and see that second season. Um, and the same with the X-Files. Just watch the last three seasons of that uh, and you'll kind of see. But we're, we're already putting mountains of pressure on those shows that I think they would be fantastic to talk about. So, yeah. And both next year. So, um, one at the start of the year and one towards, I think it's middle of the end of next year yeah um so yeah they would be perfect I, I am down you have me in all right all right you you heard it here listeners uh we have now fixed duncan's schedule for next year uh and if he tries to disobey or uh refute this schedule uh it is open season we're gonna uh we're gonna cecil the lion yeah uh lure you out of your home in scotland oh, 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 oh it's too soon for that is it is it are, are we yes. okay? Uh, I mean, I'm on Cecil's side. Like, I am all for Cecil Justice here, but <laughs> you might be the first comedian. Well, comedian, you might be the first person to use a comedic line involving Cecil the Lion. Um, just putting that out there, both. Yeah, that your friends you are. I'm, I'm on the the bleeding edge of lion humor, uh, as I have <laughs> always been. You know. The people have often said I am the uh, the Rodney Dangerfield of large jungle cats. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, uh, uh, Duncan, how about uh, just saying goodbye to all the nice people? Bye, all the nice people. All right, be decent. See you in Fortnightly. Fortnightly.